Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, Raising the Bar on Contractor Safety Beyond Prequalification, sponsored by Veriforce. This is Alan Ferguson, Associate Editor at Safety and Health Magazine, and I will moderate today's session. Thank you all for joining us. We'll start the presentation in a few minutes, but first I want to go over some preliminary items. The views of today's speaker and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we will conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply type it in the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and click the button for Submit Question. Feel free to ask your question any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered question will be forwarded to today's speaker. For basic troubleshooting information, click the Help button located on your screen. At the end of the webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey, and I will let you know more about that after the presentation. And this webcast is archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash events. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speakers today are Marcus Pettis and Kevin Moody. Uh, Marcus serves as safety product manager at Veriforce, directing the development and delivery of of safety compliance solutions to meet the market's emerging safety compliance needs. Marcus is a seasoned safety professional experience at managing programs to improve safety culture and ensure compliance with DOT, OSHA, EPA, and DOD regulations. Before joining Veriforce in 2012, Marcus was an HSE manager at Jacobs, overseeing project-specific HSE programs for refineries and chemicals and fabrication plants. Prior to Jacobs, he served four years in the U.S. Navy. Kevin is a global safety consultant for Veriforce. He works with Veriforce clients both domestically and globally to strengthen their safety compliance programs and drive continuous improvement to safety culture across their organizations, as well as their contractor workforce. Kevin is active in national safety organizations, including the American Society of Safety Engineers and the National Safety Council. He's also heavily involved in the community and currently served as the Vice Chairman of the Lamb and Goat Auction Committee for the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. Kevin earned a bachelor's degree in accounting from the University of Houston. Marcus and Kevin, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. All right, thank you. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. First, for those who are not familiar with Veriforce, let me briefly introduce our company. Since Veriforce was founded in 2001, our company's purpose has been to improve the world by enhancing personal and community safety. This focus on safety has continuously guided our company's growth strategy over the past 15 years as we've expanded our product and service portfolio to include solutions for managing contractor prequalification and oper operator qualification and drug and alcohol compliance solutions. Today, Veriforce partners with more than 165 companies in the U.S. and their network of over 8,000 contractor companies, helping these organizations create safer work sites and communities all over, something we take a lot of pride in as a company. We're also proud to be an active participant in many of the leading industry organizations that work to enhance safety, 
like the NSC and ASSE. And we are headquartered in the Houston, Texas Metroplex. In our webinar last summer on proactive safety programs, we introduced a tool that addresses steps to take to foster stronger contractor safety programs. This was the Contractor Safety Compliance Maturity Model. Today, we'll do a deeper dive into the upper end of maturity, where companies are focused on going beyond pre-qualification. So first, we'll do a brief refresh on the Contractor Safety Compliance Management Model and the key drivers of maturity, those being culture, technology, and data. Then we'll talk about how you can raise the bar on safety by shifting the focus to continuous safety improvement and what that means in terms of these drivers. Then finally, we'll look at the value clients have realized from their efforts to raise the bar, and then we'll take a few minutes to address your questions. Let's start by taking a look at the contractor safety compliance management maturity model at a very high level. First off, it's a continuum with companies that have ad hoc efforts or developing programs to manage your contract, contractor safety at the far left, and companies that are very strategic in their implementation and management of their contractor safety program at the far right. So what influences an organization's position along the continuum? There are three key drivers that we've observed influencing a company's level of contractor safety compliance management maturity. First, it's culture. Second, it's use of technology. And finally, it's use of data. Now, with respect to a company's culture, is contractor safety an, exec you know, an executive priority and how widespread is program buy-in across the company? Is there a willingness to invest in the necessary manpower and technology resources to support the program? And, as central to our discussion today, do the program's objectives end at contractor prequalification, or are they focused on driving continuous year-over-year -year improvement to contractor safety? Second, technology. This is another key driver of maturity. Does the company have centralized repository to store and easily analyze contractor safety data? Is technology in place to enforce consistency with respect to the contractor data that's captured and how it's reviewed? And are there mobile tools being used to efficiently share and capture contractor safety information in the field? Finally, the third driver is data. Have key performance indicators, or as you'll hear later, KPIs, been defined for contractor safety and how are they used? Is historical data available to identify trends over time? Are di diverse data sources available to provide program insights and drive decision-making, including both leading and lagging indicators of contractor safety? In other words, metrics designed to assess both incident prevention and history. We'll talk about more, more about these in a minute, but first, uh, Marcus is going to take us through a quick review of some of the characteristics of companies at each stage of the maturity model. All right, starting at the ad hoc and developing program stages, we see that contractor safety either isn't a focus for the company or it's just emerging as an area that needs attention. 
If someone owns contractor safety, it's typically a very small part of their job responsibilities. Criteria for vetting contractors based on safety performance is at early stages, but there's no consistent standard used across the organization in terms of what data is requested and captured or how it's reviewed. There's not one central repository where the organization stores this data, nor any way to validate that it's being consistently gathered, which limits any historical viewpoint of contractor data. Moving on to the basic program level, from a cultural standpoint, we see that companies at this level have committed to focusing on contractor safety. There is an internal resource to manage the contractor safety program. There is an established contractor safety prequalification program that is consistent, consistent with the data submitted by contractor and the standards against which it's evaluated. If a contractor is approved, that's a reliable indicator that their safety program is up to your organization's standards. To support this, a centralized repository for all contractor data is in place, whether it's web-based safety compliance management software or centralized files out on a share drive. There's an established business process for reviewing contractor data, in some cases employing third-party support to ensure that contractor's data is consistently captured and vetted. The company has standardized what data they want to capture and they've got at least the most recent year's data for each contractor. This allows them to establish some basic KPIs for their program and begin working towards tracking year-over-year -year trends. While this maturity level definitely represents a solid contractor safety program, a basic program does not account for varying contractor risk levels. It's more focused on the front-end pre-qualification of contractors versus helping to drive improvement to contractor safety year-over-year. Year. At the upper end of the maturity model, program's focus has shifted to driving safety improvements among contractors. We see companies at the advanced level investing in a dedicated resource to manage their contractor program. They are beginning to incorporate more field personnel support into the program. They've also invested in third-party support to handle gathering and reviewing of the contractor's data. Risk-based requirements have been added for their contractors, and they've added more data points to their program. Armed with trend data, they have gotten into a cadence of at least an annual review of their contractor safety program to see where adjustments may be needed. In strategic programs, there's buy-in at all levels. There's a focus on contractor safety that's being driven from the top down. These companies are also strategic in their use of technology and on the data front. Companies at this level get really good at continuously adapting their contractor safety program and targeting their resource base on the latest trend metrics, which helps them guard against complacency. All right, thanks, Marcus. What we'd like to do now, is, before we get into more detail about activities at the upper end of maturity, I just want to ask everybody a quick question. Where do you think your own contractor program stands today? 
Do you think it's an ad hoc or developing program A, B, a basic program, C, advanced program, or D, a strategic program? We'll give you all a little bit of time to answer the question. All right, Marcus, what do you think we're going to see the, uh, as a result of this? Well, normally it's in that mid-range. So we usually see a higher end on the basic program, but in a close second, advanced program. All right, so let's see what we have here. All right, pretty close to what we talked about. Looks like uh, a high percentage around the basic program, uh, a few on the ad hoc, and then in a close second, that advanced program. All right, so getting back to things, what does it mean to raise the bar on contractor safety and move beyond pre-qualification? As we've noted, it involves a cultural shift to a focus on continuous safety improvement. And this has additional implications with respect to culture, technology, and data. So let's talk specifics. Companies at advanced levels of maturity take a partnership view of the program. Now, by this, I mean it's not about being punitive towards contractors. It's about a partnership in safety and having tools in place that help everyone, you know, contractors included, achieve the goal of creating a safer workplace. Establishing this partnership needs to start from your first contact, how you position your program to contractors when initially rolling out the program. And positioning contractors as partners should continue in your ongoing communications. When you do an annual or quarterly meetings with your contractors, you know, or whether one-on-one -on -one or as a group, it should be apparent in the tools that you provide to contractors and the type of feedback you give them on their safety programs. But how can you give meaningful feedback to your contractors? A, crit a, a critical advancement we see in companies with mature safety programs is that they put in place contractor observation and audit programs. Now, these provide valuable insights that help you pinpoint and correct areas where contractors have program weaknesses. You can leverage your field staff to perform regular observations on the job site. Now, be sure to define your criteria for your field staff. You know, what do you want them to look for and what they should expect to see in contractors' day-to-day -day safety practices. Beyond having your field personnel capture information, you know, paper forms are fine at the start, use the observations as an opportunity to coach contractors on their safety practices on an ongoing basis and really cultivate that partnership feel. Additional benefits come from establishing a formal safety audit program, leveraging both field personnel and third-party auditors. Combined with observations, audits lay the groundwork to capture really valuable trend data regarding areas where your contractors have program weaknesses. In addition to coaching opportunities, audit programs provide a basis for requiring formal corrective action that helps your contractors improve their programs. Of course, contractors introduce varying levels of risk to your business based on the types 
and volume of work they do. Mature safety programs make use of their audit program to expand the pre-qualification requirements for higher risk contractors. For example, in addition to submitting stats and policies, a high risk contractor might also have to undergo a desktop or field audit. With the desktop audit, we're talking about reviewing a contractor's HSE policies and documentation submitted on how they implement these policies to assess how well they comply on paper with OSHA and company safety requirements. A field audit goes the next step to evaluate the contractor's implementation of their safety policies and procedures in the field. By adding a field or desktop audit for these contractors, you've moved past the one-size-fits-all in terms of your pre-qualification requirements and can make hiring decisions with increased confidence. Making use of third-party auditors in addition to your own personnel also adds value. Third-party auditors bring an impartial perspective and input on best practices. You know, they've seen what other companies and industries are doing to support contractor safety. Audits allow you to collect information. The payoff really comes from the follow-up with contractors, reviewing results and identifying gaps, developing corrective action, action plans, and working with the contractors on them, you know, conducting follow-up audits to measure that improvement. Here are a couple of examples of how third-party audits can be used strategically to address problem situations. If pre-qualification reveals a poor safety program, you can move the contractor into a third-party desktop audit program, including a corrective action plan and coaching and assistance for the contractor to work through the plan to make improvements. Or if you have a favorite contractor, but you know they have issues or are barely compliant, third-party audits with appropriate follow-up are a tool to help the contractor identify and close program gaps. So let's talk a little more about those problem situations. Companies with mature safety programs plan for the unexpected. They've put process around common exception scenarios. For example, you'll always have contractors you simply have to use. Maybe you're in a remote location, you have no choice, you have to use the contractor. Maybe there's an emergency situation and you need to use a local contractor who you know, hasn't been through the pre-qualification process or has a poor score in your system. It's important to have a well-defined process for dealing with exceptions to your safety compliance management program to include approving and documenting the exceptions and approval with specific mitigation plan in place. This may involve third-party audits as we just discussed. Another way advanced companies plan for the unexpected is by identifying backup contractors for critical work situations and or locations. Just makes sense. Contractors who've been pre-qualified and are in the system and are ready to be called upon in the event, you know, the usual contractor is unavailable. So let me ask Marcus, you know, technology has a big role to play in contractor safety program that's focused on continuous improvement, right? It does. Yes, let's talk about that. First, the right technology can streamline and simplify the process we've been talking about, like observations and audit programs. 
exception management, and communication with contractors. Companies with mature safety programs invest in a dedicated safety compliance management system that gives them a single place to track and manage their contractor program. It minimizes downtime in terms of equipping field personnel with an accurate and effective source to know who's approved to go to work. Safety compliance management system does two things. It can track a contractor's compliance with other work requirements, like maintaining appropriate insurance coverage, so it gives a complete view of who's approved to go to work or why they're not. And it improves efficiency because instead of holding up work while you're trying to get the one person in the company on the phone who can verify that a contractor is good to go, the fill guy just does a quick check in the system to see they're approved and goes. As we've discussed, supporting risk-based prequalification moves you past one-size-fits-all in terms of your prequalification requirements. As you add this complexity, you need software that's designed to manage group contractors, grouping contractors, and auto-enforcing your risk-based requirements for each group. Hey, Marcus, let me ask you a question. You know, I've mentioned it, you've mentioned it, this one-size-fits-all. What do you really mean by that? Well, with one-size-fits-all, you're implementing requirements across the board to all your contractors. Or you have low-risk contractors and high-risk contractors, and you can implement requirements based on their risk base. For an example, high-risk contractors. There's two things that probably could move towards high risk. That could be the type of work they're performing, or how many employees they have exposed to a certain work type. Okay, so basically not all contractors are created equal. Correct. All right. One thing that's key, as you're looking to establish more of a partnership with your contractors, the software needs to be easy for them to use, to give and get needed information, which we'll talk about more in a minute. Also, advanced programs leverage their safety compliance management systems, mobile tools in the field. For example, use your phone to easily verify a contractor's readiness to work. Capture paperless contractor safety observations and audit reports that sync directly into the safety compliance management system. This is huge because with real-time capture of findings, as you see trends developing, you can actually react to them while the project is still ongoing. All right, here's an illustration of how software can simplify contractor interactions with your program. As you can see in the safety action section of this page, contractors know when they have something that's need, that needs their attention to take action on. On the top right, there will be a number showing how many actions are needed, similar to the way your email program shows that you have unread emails. You may also notice in blue a KPI section. The first one there is safety statuses for their clients. 
this gives them a quick view on meeting the requirements and how many clients they're working for. The following three KPIs show year-over-year stats in regards to the EMR, experience modification rate, total recordable case rate, the TRCR, and vehicle incidents. And here's an example of what a field supervisor might see on their mobile device. This allows the field supervisor to have easy access to view contractors' readiness to work and if they've met their organization's requirements. And if not, allows them to deep dive and understand what gaps they need to close. Now let's talk about data. Companies with more mature safety programs have also added more data points to their program. This means an expanded range of key performance indicators, or KPIs, to monitor both leading and lagging indicators like incident prevention and historical data. They're making the most of all of their data sources, more than three years worth of self-reported data from contractors. Findings from contractors' safety observations and audits gathered. Findings from third-party audits of their contractors and also industry benchmarks. Consider capturing data at client or project levels. Companies often have contractors reporting safety stats at a more granular level. For example, tracking incidents at the individual project level. This will help identify where you may need an awareness campaign on a particular topic or an update to contractor work rules or even some coaching or training for contractors. Companies at this level get really good at continuously adapting their contractor safety program and target their resource base on the latest trend metrics. Of course, this also calls for the right technology to house all of this data and make it easy to analyze and identify trends to guide that adaptation. So, Marcus, what are some of the you know, key data points or KPIs that companies should be including for their safety programs? So, kind of referring back to one size fits all, these could be different through different organizations on what they're trying to achieve and where they are in their program. But with that said, one of the main KPIs would be that total recordable case rate. Uh, as we mentioned, you can hold those uh, contractors accountable towards industry averages, but as you advance, you can take your contractor average for your total recordable case rate and start setting the bar a little higher to achieve a better incident rate. All right. Great. Thank you. All right. This slide and the next one contains a list of suggested KPIs across several categories. It also includes KPIs that even the basic maturity level should already have in place. These KPIs enable you to establish a baseline that you can use to approve contractors before they go to work for you. The ones suggested as a basic starting point are highlighted in light blue. 
contractor onboarding status. This is so you know whether or not a contractor has provided the required information. And then contractors OSHA reported, like the TRCR we mentioned, number of fatalities, number of vehicle incidents, and their EMR. From there, you're going to expand as you add more program elements, like observations or audits. What you're working towards is having an integrated mix of data that helps you both understand what contractors are doing to help prevent safety incidents. These are leading indicators, like observations and audits, and helps you understand your contractor's history of safety incidents. These are lagging indicators, like the TRCR, fatalities, vehicle incidents, and EMR. All right, so cover these in a full spectrum, looking at the program management. Program management KPIs help you administrate your program. Contractor onboarding status, this provides a clear picture of who's compliant with pre-qualification requirements, like submitting documents, undergoing an audit, and what still is outstanding. If you're using a safety compliance management system, ideally your system enables you to see the big picture and then drill in to easy see, easily see details behind individual contractors as needed. Risk-based contractor group mix. Once you add risk-based requirements, this enables you to quickly understand the breakdown of your contractor pool into risk-based buckets. In the next section below, safety stats. These are lagging indicators that give you a read on individual contractor incident history. And when you look at the average across your total contractor pool on a year-over-year -year basis, it gives you a sense of which way your contractors are trending. Is their incident history improving, reflecting that a safety culture really is a priority to them? Minimum three-year rolling is ideal so you're not penalizing a contractor for one isolated incident. And to see how your contractors are trending over time and really assess if they have the same commitment that you do to getting better at safety. Safety stats are an area where you may want to get more granular as you mature your program. Have contractors track and report these types of safety stats for only your job sites or even a project level rather than just providing OSHA 300 stats that represent performance across all clients. The idea is to be able to get a better read on incidents occurring on just your job sites and understand whether this is trending positively or negatively. As you mature your program and are focusing more on driving ongoing safety improvements among contractors, you add in observations and audit trend metrics, which are leading indicators of a contractor's safety performance. What are they doing or failing to do as part of their safety program to help prevent incidents? So if we look up here at the first box, we have observation trends. Here, you're engaging employees on day-to-day -day basis to capture and help you assess where there may be issues before they result in an incident. The more granular you can get with your findings, the better. So you can see what's going on at multiple levels and get really targeted with safety, safety campaigns, training, and so forth, perhaps down to the individual project level. 
Off to the right, you'll see audit trends. Audits represent a more formal, scheduled approach to assessing the implementation of your contractor safety programs and identifying any potential weakness. Similar observations, you're looking for trends and audit findings that help you proactively identify and address program weaknesses that might increase the change of injury. Work towards capturing audit findings in a format that makes it really easy to drill down and look at individual projects and contractors as needed. And then finally on the bottom left, benchmarks. Benchmarks give you a useful point of comparison, both to assess the overall effectiveness of your program and as a standard that you might consider holding your individual contractors to as part of your pre-qualification process. For example, when we work with clients on their contractor scoring model, many clients choose to award points to their contractors in a particular area based on whether or not that contractor meets or exceeds the OSHA industry average for a particular stat. You might also consider benchmarking as an individual contractor's year-over-year -year performance trend, for example, TRCR or EMR against the OSHA industry average. At Verforce, we also enable our clients to compare their contractor pool against peer companies' data to get a sense of whether their contractors are over or underperforming. Benchmarking at the project-to-project -project level can help you dig into more localized factors that may be impacting safety. Okay, thanks, Marcus. You can go ahead and take a break. Uh, great work, really appreciate it. <clears throat> As Marcus and I have worked with clients who have moved their contractor safety programs beyond pre-qualification and incorporated some of the things we've talked about, we hear from them that they're seeing real value resulting from their efforts. Clients tell us that their contractors have started to understand how serious they are about safety, as well as hiring contractors who are serious about safety themselves. So as a result, they've seen contractors send their best work crews out to their job sites. They're getting their A-teams. Contractors understand that they need to deliver their best safety performance because if they don't, they could lose work. This not only means safer work sites and lower risk, but it's also translating into higher quality and more efficient work. And that ultimately translates to cost savings for you. So that concludes our presentation for today. You know, we'll get to your questions in just a minute, but first, please let us know if you'd be interested in speaking to a Verforce representative about how our solutions could support you and raising the bar on your safety compliance management program. So, would you be interested in speaking with a Veriforce representative? Please answer either A, yes, please contact me, or I don't even know why this one's up here because we all know you want us to contact you. B, no thanks. Thank you for your time today, and we'll get to your questions in just a minute. Great job, Marcus and Kevin. Thank you for your excellent insights and expertise. Uh, before we start the Q&A, I want to remind everyone of the evaluation screen survey we're asking you to complete. The survey should be appearing on your screen now. Your input is important because it will help us improve future webcasts. If you do not see the evaluation survey on your screen, please turn off your pop-up blocker. 
You may also access the survey by clicking the survey button near the lower right part of your screen. Okay, now let's get to some questions. First of all, uh, what makes a contractor high risk? Mark, do you want to take that one? Sure. Uh, like we discussed a little bit uh, a little bit ago, uh, high-risk contractors can be uh, put together by potentially two categories. It can be based off the type of work they're performing. So, to give you some examples, uh, chemicals that may involve uh, respiratory protection, uh, welding activities are some examples of some high-risk work types. Or it could be more of a moderate risk work type or a low risk work type, but the exposure uh, to how many employees could become a factor. All right. So the guy sweeping the you know <laughs> the sweeping for you isn't going to be the same as the guy that's you know up high you know welding for you, right? That's correct. Our next question, is there an ideal size of client or contractor base that you all work with? No, I'll go ahead and take that one. We actually get this question quite a bit. And truthfully, you know, one, a safety program is for everybody. So you don't want to just go by size. On the contractor side, we deal with every, you know, we work with everyone from the mom and pop, you know, one to five employee shops on up to the thousands of, you know, thousands of employees. And on the flip side, on you know the client hiring side, we work with you know people there that work with maybe you know one to five contractor companies and on up into the you know they have thousands of contractor companies they work for. So the key here is that one, safety is important, and two, we work with all kinds and because again, it's not one size fits all. Our next question: What about certificate of insurance tracking? Is that something you all offer? How does it work? Okay, yeah, I'll take that one as well. Yes, certificate of insurance tracking is important. I mean, it's just all part of the pre-qualification process. Do you really want somebody out on your side if they, you know, don't have coverage and if hopefully not if something goes wrong? So, yes, we do offer it. And, you know, it's one of the options that we have and what we'll do is we will reach out to the contractor, we will get their COI updated, we'll verify that it does meet your insurance requirements. And we'll provide you a quick view of if they do have coverage, yes, or if they don't, then no, they don't have enough coverage for you. And then we'll also track, you know, the expiration date on it. And we'll reach out to the contractors to let them know uh, periodically, you know, as the expiration date's coming up, that it's time for them to re-up and upload another a new certificate of insurance. So, yes, we do offer that. Can you talk more about how you work with contractors on corrective actions, like if they need to improve in a specific category? What, what steps do you all take to help them improve? All right, so we definitely mentioned audits, and you never want to stop at the just doing an audit and saying these are the gaps. You definitely want to help improve the contractors. Uh, and the ways we can do that, a lot of contractors sometimes struggle in this area, but it's putting together a corrective action plan. Uh, we actually have a template that models a corrective action plan. We'll identify those gaps, give an opportunity for the contractor to identify how they're going to close those gaps, who's going to be responsible, and the time frame in which it will take them to close those gaps. So this really puts the contractor in a good position to close those gaps. Once they enter that information, we'll have a safety professional review it and ensure 
those corrective actions are adequate. Uh, and then a year later, we'll actually go back and we'll validate those corrective actions that have been implemented. You talked about suggested KPIs for a contractor safety program. Uh, from the clients you've worked with, what are some of the most helpful KPIs that they use to run their safety programs? Uh, we did talk a little bit about this as well. Um, as I mentioned, the total recordable case rate is probably the most commonly used uh, KPI as it covers all incidents and not necessarily diving into a fatality or a particular type of recordable. Uh, another good KPI uh, that a lot of programs have uh, utilized is the experience modification rate, which is the EMR, which is given to the contractors from insurance agencies based on their worker comp claim, which refers to how many recordables are happen happening that requires workers comp. Uh, do you all have experience working with companies that did not previously use software to manage their contractors' data? Or contractors' data. If if so, what were some of the common benefits that they saw in the first year? Okay, yeah, I'll take this. Yes, we do uh, work with quite a few companies that come to us that don't have any formal plan in place or you know aren't using any type of software, and we work with them to really figure out their needs and, and how best to implement the software with their with their existing programs. The benefits we see really in the first year are sometimes pretty impressive. Um, one, once the company has complete buy-in, we'll see them just kind of using it as pre-qualification at first, but then they start understanding the tool a little more and more and really start working towards that, again, raising the bar, uh, moving beyond pre-qualification and really start digging into the stats that they're seeing from their contractors year over year and really putting into place you know, corrective actions or mitigation programs with their contractors. So we do see marked improvement in the safety cultures and the, you know, in the effectiveness of the safety program you know, a year after they've implemented the program. How do you review a company that is a PEO? When you say PEO, what do you mean? Well, we'll you know we'll get back to you on that one. Do you think that performing additional auditing of a contractor safety program increases the owner's liability in the event of an in incident? If you're in, okay, well, if you're performing, you know, if you're performing a third-party audit and you're providing a corrective action, I mean, how would that be increasing liability? If anything, you're helping the contractor out. So, and again, if you use say a third party like Veriforce, you know, we're conducting those audits, so your liability wouldn't be increased. If anything, you would be strengthening your program, and you'd be able to show that you are in fact strengthening your program. So I would say, no, you're not increasing your liability, you're lessening your liability. Yeah, and after talking with a lot of regulatory agencies, they actually encourage uh, this activity. And uh, if you're open with this information, you show them the findings you've had and those corrective actions you've taken, it definitely uh, increases uh, your likelihood of uh, not having any issues from a regulatory standpoint. 
All right, thank you, everyone. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. I'm sorry we didn't get to everyone's questions, but all of today's unanswered questions will be forwarded to today's speakers. Once again, I hope you take the time to fill out the evaluation survey on your screen to give us your feedback. That ends today's Safety and Health webcast. I'd like to thank Marcus Pettis, Kevin Moody, everyone at Veriforce, and, of course, all of our listeners. Thank you again, and have a safe day.